It's time with Pastor Mike Kessler starts now. This is It's Time, the daily teaching ministry from the River Christian Fellowship, home of CSN International, featuring Pastor Mike Kessler, Senior Pastor at the River. Today, Pastor Mike is going to be teaching in the book of 1 Samuel. Located way back in the Old Testament, the books of 1 and 2 Samuel are the legacy that reveals the change from God-appointed judges over the people to the kingdom era, where the Jews are ruled over by a king both a departure from God's ways and a foreshadow of God's ways. With our study on the book of 1 Samuel, here's Pastor Mike. If you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Samuel as we continue on in our study, looking at this most incredible story concerning God blessing the nation of Israel through a king that he had for them. We remember the people that came to uh, uh, Samuel, and they said, "Samuel, we want a king like all the other, uh, like all the other nations." They they failed to realize that they were different than all the other nations around them, and because of that, and because of their heart, Samuel told the Lord. The Lord said to him, "He said, Samuel, it's not that they've rejected you; they've rejected me." And so we find then that Israel gets a man after man's heart. His name was Saul. And so God had somebody, I believe, in line all along. His name was David. He was the son of Jesse. And we remember last, because we studied together, how God used David, this young kid that loved God, to slay the Philistine giant named Goliath. And because of that, he became basically an instant hero within the nation of Israel because he was able then to gain the confidence of the people because no one would go out and fight this giant. And so here's a probably a kid around, probably 15 years old, goes out with a slingshot and goes out and uh, beans old Goliath right between the eyes. Goliath falls down and David uses Goliath's own sword to cut off Goliath's head. Kind of an incredible story. Well, when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they ran. And as they ran, we remember David was then brought back. Saul said, who is that? We remember there was quite a story. And so we find the story now in chapter 18 as we continue on. That David um, returns back uh, after this. Now, he didn't go home. We're going to get into that in a few minutes. But he, he actually... Uh, is on his way. So let's just pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you love us and that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would communicate, Lord, these truths to us, God, that we would rest and trust in you. God, even though we don't always understand everything that's going on, we know that you have a plan and your hand is in these things. And so we ask you now to guide our thoughts and direct us, cause us to remember these things in your precious name. Amen. And it was so, verse 1 of chapter 18, when he had finished speaking to Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Now, this is interesting because Jonathan is Saul's son. And we remember that when David came back and returned from uh, slaughtering the Philistine, that there was some conversation going on. And for some reason, the Holy Spirit did something within Jonathan and knit his soul to David. Now, uh, there is a lot of uh, perversion 
uh, maybe I should say people that are perverted, try to in some way insinuate that there's a homosexual relationship between David and uh, Jonathan. Of course, that's absolutely false. And as we read on, you'll see that it was simply something that the Holy Spirit did where there is that bosom buddy kind of thing. Now, uh, again, to find somebody that is loyal to you is extremely hard. Solomon said one in a thousand men and never in a woman. Now, I'll tell you, I don't know whether uh, he just, because he had so many other women and there was always this chiding in his life uh, that they were always in competition. But what Solomon was saying, basically, it's so hard to find somebody that is really loyal to what you're doing and the vision that God's giving you. And I believe, friends, again, that is such an important thing. We, we see that there's always people who have another agenda in what they're about and what they're endeavoring to do. And here we find that simply Jonathan, even though he was Saul's son in line for the throne, we remember all the promises that were made. Whoever goes out and kills the giant can marry the king's daughter and will get a tax-exempt status for the rest of his life. That sounded pretty great. But David didn't go out to win the king's daughter, and he didn't go out to to uh, get the, the tax-free status. He just went out because who's this uncircumcised Philistines that he reviles the armies of God? And so David just went out in the name of the Lord and conked him in the head. Well, we find that Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. In other words, now because David was this, you might say, this war hero, showed extreme valor and extreme uh, uh, boldness, you might say, in the face of adversity. Uh, I believe Saul recognized in him some some really great traits. And, and uh, of course, anybody that's a king is always looking for somebody that is, that is um, uh, wise. We remember when uh, 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 Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream. Uh, Pharaoh's response was, where can I find somebody in whom the gods dwell? You be my prime minister. And so we remember that Joseph went from prison to prime minister in in a day, uh, only under the Pharaoh himself. And uh, so uh, the uh, leadership always looks for people that are skilled and resourceful. Well, it says here, verse 3, Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him, gave it to David, and his armor, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. This is a very unusual practice here. And it evidently shows something that not only did David love the Lord, but something within Jonathan, he recognized the calling of God in his life. Now, we remember that God had removed his spirit from Saul And we remember that God told Samuel to go to the house of Jesse and anoint one of his sons as the next king over Israel. Well, we remember all the sons passed in front of Samuel and Samuel, nope, nope, nope. They ran out of kids. He says, don't you have anybody else? Oh yeah, yeah. The youngest, he's out tending the sheep. He goes, I won't even sit down until he comes. I'm going to stand right here and wait. So they went out, they found him, he came back. And soon as Samuel saw him, he knew this was the one that God had for him. And so he anointed him to be the next king over Israel. Now, nobody really even knew this. Nobody even knew why Samuel was really anointing David uh, in this way. Uh, but what is, what is interesting is even without knowing all of that, Jonathan understood that and began to give him his robe and his armor and all the things really that uh, the you might say, the next heir to the throne would have. 
And so, verse 5, it says, So David went out wherever Saul sent him, and he behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in their sight of all the people, and also in the sight of, of Saul's servants. Now, uh, this is interesting. It says he behaved wisely wherever he went. I think that's really a, a, a little a treasure nugget right there, you might say, because uh, he always he always watched what he was doing very closely. And friends, I think that's very a very important thing. Now it happened when they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing. This might be what would be said. Now we remember, so you understand this picture here. Uh, let's go back to um, verse 2. Saul took him that day and would not allow him to go home to his father's house. Um, and so he was not allowed to go there, uh, go back there. But eventually David did go home. And as he's on his way home after the slaughter of Goliath is what it's talking about here. Now, uh, he's, he's speaking here that he was on his way home to go see his parents. And they gave him a ticker tape parade. That's what basically it was. And all the ladies of Israel came out and um, notice what they were doing. It says, uh, the, uh, the, after the slaughter of, uh, of that Philistine, speaking of Goliath, that the women had come out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with sam- tambourines, with joy and with musical instruments. Um, so the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousand. Then Saul became very angry, and say, the saying displeased him, and he said that, that they ascribed to David ten thousand, and to me only uh, but thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Uh, it's interesting here that... Um, Saul didn't like the um, the Jerusalem top 40. <laughs> they didn't like the song the ladies were singing. David slain his ten thousands and Saul his thousands. That just did not set well with Saul. We remember Saul had a bit of an ego problem anyway. We remember uh, one of the reasons why he had gotten into trouble with Samuel is because uh, Saul, after he had had a, a victory, he went and made a monument to himself. And so uh, we find this guy was kind of more or less, you might say, uh, he was um, he had an eye problem. Uh, it was always I this and I that, and it was never God. Well, now the nation is beginning to recognize that the victories that were being brought forth weren't really done by Saul, but they were done by David, and Saul didn't like that. And so Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. So that David played music with his hand as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall with it. But David escaped his presence twice. Now, we look at this here, and this is kind of an interesting thing. It says a distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul and he prophesied. That's an interesting thought. Now, this distressing spirit may not have been uh, oftentimes what we might think. You have to remember that 
a person that is not right with God and a close encounter of the true and living God in an individual's life can either be one of, maybe I should say, a close encounter of God in a person's life can be one of the greatest experiences or it can be one of the most distressing experiences that there is. Because again, we call the distressing spirit of the Lord, you might say, conviction. Because you're not right with God. You're not walking with the Lord. And so because he's not where you're supposed to be in his relationship with God, God distressed him. It is interesting, even under that distress, he was still able to prophesy. Now, it doesn't say what was said in those prophecies, but no doubt David heard it and David understood it because he was there trying to calm David, or maybe I should say trying to calm Saul down. Now, it says there was a spear in his hand. And because of his anger and because of his wrath and the turmoil, I believe, inside of him, he threw the spear at David. Therefore, Saul um, removed him. Verse 11, Saul cast the spear and said, I will pin David to the wall with it. But David escaped his presence twice. So it's interesting that uh, he was a spear chucking at David quite regularly here. Now, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. You know, the spirit of God on a person's life is that which causes fear in people who are not right with God. And you find it all the way through the Bible, and you find it especially in in the life of Jesus. There was no other presence in Jesus' life than the Holy Spirit, and yet Jesus was always under criticism continually by almost everyone except the common man. Uh, we remember that they'd come to Jesus, the religious leaders, and they'd say, why do you eat with the publicans and the sinners? And uh, Jesus would look at him and say, well, the sick ones are the ones who need the doctor. Uh, Jesus didn't let their criticism stop him in what he was doing. We remember Paul the Apostle as well said in Second Corinthians chapter 11 that he was in perils often by his own countrymen, by, uh, by, his, by people that he knew, by people he didn't know, whether he was in the wilderness or he was in the city. Uh, all the things that happened to him because he had a relationship with God and people recognized that. And oftentimes, because there is something wrong with their spirit and their relationship with God, people will turn on you and they'll respond to you in ways that you don't understand. And it's because it is in the spiritual realm. And people don't oftentimes pick that up. And here I'm certainly sure that David couldn't figure out, why is Saul throwing spears at me? What did I do? I'm just in here trying to be friendly to him and play my harp and calm him down. And instead, instead of saying thank you, he got spears thrown at him. Well, again, you look at this and realize that the devil is always busy. And again, the the heart of a, a person that's not right with God is always looking to blame somebody else for what is wrong in them. Now, he says that Saul removed him from his presence. And made him captain over his thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. Actually, what it's saying here is he sent him off to war. He sent him out to be away from him, put him over his army, so that maybe, though I don't want to deal or can't kill David, maybe a Philistine will. Now, this isn't the first time that Saul, or maybe I shouldn't say this isn't the last time that Saul is going to do this. We're going to see this, that Saul continues to try to do this to David. So he says, David behaved wisely in all of his ways and the Lord was with him. So this is now the second time 
we find that David was minding uh, his thoughts and his behaviors well. Therefore, when Saul saw uh, that he was behaving very wisely, he was afraid of him. Um, I don't know what else he would have thought that David would have done. Would go out and play the fool or, or something else. But here it's very clear that he behaved wisely. But all of Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. He was accessible. And this is one of the things that really uh, troubled Saul was because um, that excellent spirit that David had. Verse 17, Then Saul said to David, Here is my older daughter Merib. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. Um, so it was deception and a deceit again. But what do you expect coming from somebody that isn't right with God? This is the way, this is the way these people think and the way they operate. And so he says, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines. So David said to Saul, who am I? And what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be the son-in-law to the king? Now, I think this is interesting here because David responds back to him in, in a very positive way, you might say. Now, again, this wife, you might say, or this daughter of Saul was part of the promise whoever killed Goliath could marry the king's daughter. And so Merib then was in line to uh, marry David. And so it happened in verse 19 at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel for a wife. Now, Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So Saul said, I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him. Does this ring weird to anybody here other than me? I'll give her my, I'll give him my daughter and she'll be a snare to him. Now, exactly why it says this, I I don't really know. We do know that uh, uh, Michal did not really have the same heart towards God that David did. We remember when, when uh, the ark was finally brought to Jerusalem. Uh, after the first time, the first attempt, we remember that uh, put, they put it on an ox cart and it stumbled. And one of the guys reached his hand out to steady it so it wouldn't fall off the ox cart. And God smote him dead. And David got all mad at God right in the middle of the joy of bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. And God smites somebody dead. And David's mad and says, don't be mad at me. That's supposed to be carried by on the backs of the Levites, not on the backs of an ox cart, the way the Philistines sent it back to Israel. And so we remember that they did it again, and this time they put it on the back of the priests. It came into Israel, it was supposed to, and David was so happy, he took off his, his kingly robe, and he had his undergarment on, and he was dancing around in the street, just so happy. Probably he got hot, maybe, uh, just because of uh, over in the Middle East it's warm. And uh, he was probably just dancing around, took his robe off. And as he's dancing around, his wife sees him. 
Mikal sees him and says, oh, well, didn't the king make a spectacle of himself today? And the, dis, and, the, and the statement that she made displeased the Lord, and the Lord didn't let her have any kids. So it's an interesting picture here. So maybe Saul knew something about his daughter in her personality that would be a stumbling block. And so by uniting her to him, in some way would stop what God was going to do in David's life. And he did it deliberately as a stumbling block. Not because he cared about his daughter, but he was trying to stop David. And I think that's a very important part of understanding the twistedness of Saul. And so it says here that I will give, uh, him, I will give her to him that it may be a snare to him. And that the hand of the Philistine may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you shall be my son-in-law today. And Saul commanded his servants, communicate with David secretly and say, look, the king has delight in you and his servants love you. Now therefore become this king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants spoke the words in the hearing of David. And David said, does it seem to you a light thing to be the king's son-in-law, saying that I am poor and lightly esteemed man. In other words, nobody really knows who I am. Nobody really cares who I am. Who am I am that I would be the king's uh, son-in-law? And the servants of Saul told him, saying, In this manner David spoke. Then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, The king does not desire any dowry, but 100 foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. You see, Saul had set this up. He knew David was a humble man because of the things that he first said when Merib was going to be promised to him. He said the same thing. Who am I? I'm a nobody. Who am I to be marrying the king's daughter? So Saul thought to himself, okay, inferiority complex. How can I capitalize on this? I'll give him Michael instead. And and, uh, he'll say the same things. So in order to prove your worth, what shall I do? Go out and get a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. Now, first of all, friends, this is weird to me. I think, first of all, to get them. I think, second of all, to count them. This, to me, is very unusual. And not something normally that you would do. But, again, when we understand, and, and, and you have to realize that the Philistines... It would require a person to be dead in order to give that up. So, um, David was being set up. He was taking advantage, he thought, of David's inferiority complex, saying, who am I? I'm the least of my family, is, is, is what he's basically saying. Who am I? I'm a lightly esteemed person. I mean, no one cares who I am. Okay, well, in order to prove your worth, you go out and get a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. So his servants told David these words. And David said, he's sick in the head. No, it doesn't say that. It says, so the servants told David these words, and it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not expired. Therefore David arose and went 
he and his men and killed 200 men of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins and they gave them in full count. Now this again, friends, this is just crazy. You, you know, God's got a sense of humor. Gave him full count. Okay, one, two. Okay. Tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. He says, gave them in, notice it says full count to the king. That it might, that, that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave Michael, his daughter, uh, uh, as wife to him. Um, notice he wanted 100 as a dowry and David gave him what? 200. He, he, uh, he doubled what the king asked for. Now, again, if you thought that David was going to be killed in this escapade by getting a hundred and you see this person come in and he has 200, what would you think? You'd think, wow, God's hands really on this guy. I asked him to do something. I was hoping he'd get killed. He goes out and does double dowry now to me, and he's still alive. If you've missed any part of today's episode, I'd like to invite you to grab the free podcast of its time by hopping on the iTunes store and downloading your own copy. If you like having the disc, you can give us a call at 800-357-4226 to place your order for First Samuel. From Pastor Mike, myself, and all of us here at the River, thanks for tuning in to It's Time.